Our scripture passage is from the third chapter of the Old Testament book of Exodus, the first 11 verses. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said to him, Here I am. And he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I have to admit, there is some part of me, however small, that when I read the story of Moses thinks, can't the poor guy catch a break? He's just minding his own business or his father-in-law's business. Tending the sheep out in a field, maybe doing a little anger management. And now all of a sudden he's being sent to confront Pharaoh. You know, I I just need to put it, put it on the table for all of us to look at. That I like a settled, peaceful life. We watch a show sometimes in our house called Modern Family. And I had to laugh last week when two of the main characters, Claire and Phil, were talking about their friends, the Rosses, who were never able to have children. And when I expected them to say that they felt really sorry for their friends, the Rosses, they instead said, we're jealous of them. They're tan. They get to travel all the time, and they look a lot younger than we do. Then... Phil and Claire go on to say, but that life is ours in five years when our youngest graduates from high school. You know, I find myself looking forward to those times that are peaceful, that are settled and undisturbed. Whether that's a day off this week, or that's five years, ten years. Okay, it's 13 years into the future for me. Walter Brueggemann, who is an Old Testament scholar, says this about the uncalled life. An uncalled life is an autonomous existence in which there is no intrusion, no disruption, no redefinition, and no appearance of the holy. That's the part that cinches it for me. 
I want glimpses of God. And I don't think that desire is unique to my profession. You know, if we were to assemble all the characters of the first three chapters of Exodus onto the stage and then ask the question, which of these people is most likely to hear from God? Well, my money is on Moses' father-in-law because he's a priest. He attends to spiritual matters professionally, right? But it's not Moses' father-in-law. It's not Jethro. It's Moses who receives the call from God. Moses the shepherd. Moses the son-in-law. Moses the murderer. Moses the orphan. We are reminded, though, at the very end of the first five books of the Bible, the end of the Pentateuch, says this about Moses. There's never been a prophet like Moses since Moses that the Lord has talked to face to face. Now, there was uh, something amazing about Moses' answer to the call that God placed on his life. And this is, in chapter 3 of Exodus, that pivotal moment where Moses hears the call and responds to the call. And I want to spend just a few minutes looking around chapter 3 of Exodus. And I want to tell you some things that I notice about this scene. Now, all of the things that I want to tell you begin with the letter D, and hopefully that will make it a little easier for you and for me to remember these things about Exodus chapter 3. Here's the first thing that I see. The first thing that I see is that Moses is easily distracted. He has the ability to be distracted. Now, ordinarily, I would not call this an ability. But when I look at this story of Moses, I think, huh. The ability to be distracted may just, in fact, be a superpower. Because in verse 3 of chapter 3, Moses says, I must turn aside and see. And when Moses turns aside to see the bush that is burning but is not consumed, an important thing happens. Verse 4 says, Then the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see. And God called out to Moses from the bush. So it's as if God's voice may not have been heard at all unless Moses had had the ability to be distracted. The ability to stop, be distracted from the task at hand. And then God's voice says to Moses, Remove the sandals from your feet, because the ground upon which you are standing is holy ground. And I do, in fact, wonder how much sacred space, how much holy ground do I miss, because I'm not willing to be distracted from the tasks of the day. Moses' response to God is, here I am, here am I. And I think that's an important posture, an important practice to take day to day, just this openness, availability to what God is doing in my world. You know, I have yet to wake up on any given morning and know exactly what the Lord will be doing that day in my life. And so I think this posture, this practice of being distracted is very important. 
But this practice needs to come with a warning label. And that's the second thing that I noticed. The second thing I noticed in this passage of scripture is that there's not much detail given. God says to Moses, go to Egypt, go to Pharaoh, and set my people free. Well, if I'm Moses, I'm going to say, do you have some books that I could study on that? Because I, I need to know exactly how to do that. I need some detail. I don't know if your house is like mine, but the people who live in my house often think that they can talk to one another from different rooms. Does that happen at your house? (laughs) And so when I'm involved in the conversation, I just get one or two words. I can't pick up the whole thought. I can't pick up the whole sentence. And that reminds me of what it's like to hear from God, because often when I hear from God, I get a word or two But I don't get the details. The blanks aren't filled in for me. I'll get the word leadership. Or I'll get a heavy heart for somebody who's in pain. Or I'll get a yearning to help a particular group of people or a particular population. But I don't exactly know how to go about doing that. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a good thing because I am pretty quick to want to define myself by my own interests and abilities in the moment. Instead of defining myself by the promise, the calling that God wants me to walk toward in the future. I heard a story recently about a young 20-something who wanted to work in a funeral home. So right out of school, she went to um, mortuary school where she studied there and then took a job in a funeral home. And she was so excited to do this work that she had tattooed across her back in bold letters the word undertaker. Well, she didn't stay very long. She got another job. And about that same time, she decided that she would, she would in fact, plan her own wedding. And in this wedding, she would wear the gown that is the style, has been the style for the last 10 to 15 years. I've seen many brides in beautiful strapless gowns. So I think you have the picture in mind. Joining the groom at the altar was, in fact, on her wedding day, the undertaker for all the congregation to see, right? I just don't think it's very wise for us to put hard and fast definitions on ourselves. (laughs) But instead, we are called to walk into a promise that's a little bit vague, but that God has for us. And to be in dialogue with God about that promise, in conversation with God about that promise. And that's the third thing I see in this passage, is that Moses stays in dialogue with God. It begins in this third chapter of Exodus, and it goes for the rest of the Pentateuch. Moses and God in conversation. I think it would be a very different scene if Moses' response to God's call had instead of an objection been, yes, sir, right away, sir. That just wouldn't have left much for us, would it? And not much for the next four books of the Bible. I can remember my Christian history professor uh, telling us that her favorite metaphor for God was friend. And I think I remember that particular day in class. Because at the time I thought, 
Well, you're smarter than that. Surely you can come up with a better metaphor for God than friend. But I do, in fact, now, 20 years later, see the wisdom in that metaphor. I mean, it's Jesus who in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John turns to his disciples and says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And here, back in the very opening scenes of the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 3, we have this relationship between Moses and God that looks an awful lot like a friendship. Old Testament scholar Brevard Childs says that Moses offers five objections to God's call and that each of those objections look to the past. Moses is looking to a fear that he has in the past. And each of those responses, God points Moses towards a new future, a new promise. Moses objects, and God reveals a little bit more about who God is. So we learn some things about God as Moses objects that we wouldn't learn if Moses' answer had just been, yes, sir, right away, sir. We learn that God is faithful. We learn God's name. I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. We learn that God promises to be with Moses. We learn that God will provide, that God will provide speech, that God will provide community, that God will provide signs. And all this we learn through Moses' dialogue with God. Most importantly, I think, though, we learn that Moses will no longer be defined by his fear or his draw to the past. But instead, Moses is going to have a new definition, a new calling And that's the fourth thing that I notice in this passage, is that we get a new definition for Moses. One of the things I learned from Pastor Scott Hare this week in the pastor's meeting was that Moses was a common name in that day. Moshe, because it just means drawn out of, made in the image of. And so even King Ramses was King Ramses Moshe. Because he was drawn in the image of the sun. So we have this kid Moses. But what is he drawn in the image of? I think what we find in the third chapter of Exodus is that Moses is drawn in the image of the great deliverer. God says to Moses, go to Egypt. Bring my people out of slavery. Deliver them to the promised land. You know, I actually think it may be one of the funniest scenes in this particular section of Scripture. When God says to Moses, I see my people enslaved in Egypt. I see how the Egyptians oppress them. I have come down to deliver them. So Moses, you go and speak to Pharaoh. You know, I just have this image of Moses going, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Say what? I'm going to Pharaoh? But yes, in fact, it is Moses who will, on God's behalf, with God, deliver the people out of slavery to the promised land. And that's the fifth thing that I noticed about this passage, is that Moses, the little d deliverer, does in fact himself become delivered. Because what we know about Moses from the first 80 years of his life is that he has spent much time, um, 
crippled by fear and tied to the past. But God will deliver Moses from that as Moses walks towards this calling, towards this promise that God places on his life. I have a friend who grew up on farmland on top of the Eagle Ford Shale. And she was telling me this week what it was like to grow up on that farm in the 70s and that seismic crews would come through the county from time to time in the oil and gas field and they would calculate and make judgments on whether or not there might be oil or gas on the property. They'd tie little pink plastic ribbons on the fence and they always told their father the same thing. You're on the wrong side of the fault line. Here's what I know to be true. What I know to be true is that God has a call and a promise for every person in this room. It can, in fact, be difficult to get to. You may have to be distracted from a task at hand. You may have to take risks. You probably have to remain in dialogue with God from day to day. But you can't be on the wrong side of fault here. Nothing that you have done or anyone has done to you is outside of God's reach. God can get to you. God will be faithful. And God will deliver us. Amen.